This is the Horse Radio Network. Can you be penalized for patting your horse in competition? This week on Heels Down Happy Hour, we're talking about who knew horses could talk, pole dancing, but not that kind, and how to make a cross-country move less stressful on your horse. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where three horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Hour! I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Caroline Colbertson, and welcome to episode three of Happy Hour. Thanks for hanging out with us. This episode is presented by EcoGold, a leader in saddle pad innovation, known for their non-slip, shock-absorbing saddle pads, half pads, and protective horse boots, trusted by Olympians. Justine, what are you drinking this evening? Tell us, tell us what you're sipping on. So it's uh, actually kind of boring this week. I just had like a half open bottle of 14 Hands Red Blend. If you've never had it, it has horses on the cover, but it's pretty good. Yeah. I've never had that. So it's like, it's, it is a, that's, it's actually a horse e-wine. Is it? Yeah. So it's a tribute to horses, basically. 14 Hands isn't a random thing. No, it's actually meant to be like 14 hands tall, like, and they have horses on the label. They're from Washington State, but I don't know anything else about it. But it is sort of, it's like 93 degrees here today, so it's kind of hot to be drinking red wine, not going to lie. Why 14 hands? I was like, as much as I love red wine, how can you drink red wine in the middle of summer? I don't know. Because I'm lazy. yeah, that's I, even I can't do that. And I am a red like I love red wine more than anything. I will say, though, I went to I used to live in Northern Virginia. And of course, it's vineyard country there. Um, so I went to this great vineyard that had a, a was really famous for its red wines. And they did a red wine slushy in the summertime, which sounds uh, terrible. I mean, let's be honest, like it, it's like kind of like red wine um, like, what is it like a snow cone kind of almost, but it was so freaking good. And now that's the only way that I can drink red wine in the summer. It was sweet, but it still had a little bit of the red wine flavor, but it wasn't, you know, they, they made it like sweet. They made it almost kind of a dessert. It was incredible. Oh my God. It was so good. Oh, see, I, I love red wine and I still drink red wine after, you know, for dinner or whatever else. But if I'm going to start off, I love the white wine spritzers but they're not frozen like that or they're not slushy material. Um, the one I used to make all the time, obviously I can't right now cause I'm pregnant, which is sort of sad, but, um, I know I'm, I'm trying the mom mojito <laughs> things or whatever. Mom yeah. The TV. mocktail. Yeah. yeah how's that? I found really uh, one really good one that like a bartender made for me, but I wasn't very good at replicating it. I think I need to practice oh, no. some more, oh, <laughs> but no. I'm, I'm new to this <laughs> non-alcoholic kind of mixtures. But the one that I used to make with all our friends, um, it was white wine, club soda, lemonade and strawberries. And it was fabulous. Oh my, oh, my gosh. Good. We made it one time like for everybody after the Grand Prix, it was a hot day. And it's super easy. You get a cup of ice and you put two ounces, two to three ounces of white wine. So like, it's not that much white wine actually for the summer. It keeps you like hydrated with club soda, four ounces of like club soda, two ounces of regular lemonade. And we did a handful of like sliced strawberries, pre-packaged everything in coolers. 
everybody was drinking them. They were phenomenal. Oh, that sounds perfect for summer. I'm kind of jealous right now. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. What do you have? How many months do you, are you counting down the months until you can start drinking again? How long after a baby can you like have a glass of wine? Do you know? I don't know, but honestly, how like, is that not the first thing you researched, Jessica? Because it's been, <laughs> for the oddest part of my life, I have a glass of wine. I love my red wine. I love my wine spritzers, love everything. But I've actually been like, okay, like not counting down the days. I haven't craved the wine or the alcohol. And it took me a little bit of get, adjusting to like be the designated driver for all of my friends, but um, it's not bad. I'm not counting down the days. It's That's it's good. very a stray. It's a very strange experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. The Saint Among Us. The Saint Among Us. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I will say my dad opens up a very good bottle of red wine. I like want to smell it, and that's when I get a little jealous. I'm like, oh, I know how good that tastes. <laughs> In other news, did you know the horses can communicate now? There's a scientific study that reveals that horses communicate their preferences to humans using symbols. There were these scientists that conducted a study using 23 horses that they learned to tell their handlers whether they wanted blankets or not. Whoa, that's pretty Come cool. On. Yeah, and they like did it by touching neutral symbols. So all they did was do 10 to 15 minutes a day. And by day 14, all of the 23 horses learned to communicate, whether they wanted the blanket on or off or if they were good. And the scientists said, oh, it actually does correlate with the weather. That's pretty incredible. I will be damned. We have finally found a way to figure out if we're blanketing our horses correctly or if they are completely miserable under all of those rugs that we put on them because nobody ever knows the answer. I can't tell you like how much time we spend thinking, does my horse want a blanket? Does my horse not want a blanket? Is my horse too hot? Is my horse too cold? If my my horse could point to, you know, something... yeah, it's not some sort of yeah. Sim- like I, I'm curious to know what the symbols are. Like I'm imagining crop circles, like in signs <laughs> in the movie signs. Oh, what they trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> like big block letters in the stall that says "No, you stupid human." Yeah, you know? <laughs> like a Ouija board or something. <laughs> it's got to be something like okay, they touch the blue dot. That means yes. They bl- touch the you know brown dot. They want it off. Who knows? Yeah, I, I'm I sure that put up something. blue and brown dots everywhere if that worked. Right? It, that would be incredible. Now, oh my god, that would it would stop all the crazy heated discussions that you see on Facebook that like pop up every October. You know what I mean? Like just yes. as it's starting to get cold and people go crazy about it. Do you guys what remember ten, the, the ten to thing fifteen that, minutes a day? That's all it takes. Yeah, that's incredible. They learned that so fast. Do you guys remember the the article that it went? really viral at one point I'm viral in the horse world uh and it was about why blanketing your horse actually made them colder or something because it matted down their hair instead of letting their hair stand up or something and it it was proved to be not true but like a bunch of people like really took it to heart and it went viral and everything um and I was, you know, I'm just thinking if we could if just install could tell, yeah. this, <laughs> all they'd have to do is like install, like, you know, I don't know what the symbol, you know, the neutral symbols were that they used or neutral objects, but 
whatever. I mean, if we could teach them two or three symbols, maybe you could teach them more. <laughs> maybe <it'd> teach- <laughs> well, in other news, uh, the FBI is considering adding some new additions to its prohibited substances list for 2018. And did you guys look at this? Because it's kind of a little nutso. Uh, one, I can't pronounce any of the words of any of these substances, so bear <laughs> bear with me, but there are a couple that are a little like, this doesn't make any sense. So dimethyl sophone, uh, it is actually like a property that you, that is found in MSN. And so they're going to like, right now it's a technically a controlled medication and they're going to move it to a controlled medication in a specified substance. So does that mean, is it just remain like, it just remains the same? I don't understand. Yeah, controlled medication is, that's the level of their, they measure the levels, I believe, Right, is that's how that's kind of tested. But then I don't know why, like, why is its status changing? And all of these changes, by the way, are, these are proposed changes to become effective uh, in 2018. So January 1st of of 2018. Uh, So not, not super soon, but some of these I don't know what they are. Um, I don't know why they would be in my horse's body. Uh, you know, the one that I think is interesting is, oh, here we go. Colchicine. Oh, God. So <laughs> many people are going to be like, that dumb blonde girl doesn't know how to say a <laughs> damn thing. Uh, it's That is a banned substance, and it's being moved to... It's currently a banned substance. It's being proposed to be changed to a banned substance and specified substance. And it's a contaminant in certain forage. Right, so you can't even really control that. I'm, I'm unclear. I don't know what, you know, certain forage means. I guess I feel that if we are looking at this, you know, FBI clean sport list document and we're three people that are highly involved in the horse world and we're asking all of these questions, maybe it should be included on the document. (laughs) So the FBI is uh, asking for feedback. There is a submission form uh, and you could submit it before August 7th. So if you have any feedback, we suggest you do that if you know more than we do. And then our third piece of news today is um, an exciting advancement in science, um, in veterinary science that a lot of people still don't know about, even though it's a bit been in the works for um, a few years now. But as any sort of new drug or new medication, um, it's still, you know, going through a lot of trials. There's still a lot of red tape. Uh, and that is a vaccine for melanoma for gray horses. Did you guys know anything about this? No. So apparently, um, according to a paper published by a veterinarian at Purdue, it's reported that 80% of gray horses ages 15 and older will develop melanoma. I did not realize that the statistic was that high and I have a gray horse. So wow. a little bit of a concerning uh, thing, you know, you hear about how common it is, but to put a proper number on that, I think is, is a bit surprising for me at least. Yeah. It's, um, it's large. I mean, yeah, Most, I, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary. scary. It is scary. We have one um, that has them already, so it's kind of oh scary. No. And how old is it? It's like eighteen. So it's it's my dad's um, hunt event horse, and so we actually have them on just a preventative uh, medication, not preventive, just to make the tumors not get bigger. Mm-hmm. And so 
they've it's worked that's meditating, but I didn't have any idea that there was actually a vaccine. Yeah. Most so that gray horses, if they have any tumors or anything, will end up going on cimetidine and mm-hmm. just keeping it on an oral dose of it that happens daily. But I had no idea there was actually a vaccine. Is the vaccine mm-hmm. expensive though? Is it super expensive? <laughs> of course it's expensive. Everything horses is expensive. <laughs> So before you, before you put your dad's horse on it, you know, let me just tell you a couple of things. Uh, so (laughs) the the melanoma vaccine called Oncept was developed for dogs. And, um, that was kind of where this all started and in it being incorporated for, uh, equine use, the university of Florida spearheaded the testing of a vaccine for melanoma on horses. And the results were pretty good in reducing tumor size. So this is a vaccine for horses that already have melanoma. It is not preventative to my understanding. It is for horses already with, with melanoma. Mm. So that's kind of the thing that's unfortunate is you have to wait until your horse already has it. Um, and so, and what are, what are your options beyond this vaccine? You know, I, I've seen plenty of gray horses with melanomas, but do you just have to have them removed and have your vet kind of pay attention to them over the years or, you know, is there no other treatment? And that's why this is so important right now. So surgery is a really mixed bag of results. Apparently. Um, I don't have personal experience with melanoma. Um, I have personal experience with a lot of other freaking expensive veterinary ailments, but not this one yet. Um, so I'm not a hundred, like I'm not a hundred percent sure about what every single option is, but, um, I know that surgery is, kind of hit or miss. Um, it's, and the tumors typically grow back. Uh, so it's not, it's not really a cure. Um, so the, as a lot of cancer, um, research is sort of moving towards, um, the, you know, in humans and dogs and horses and everything, um, it's manipulation of the immune system. Uh, so that's how this vaccine works is it manipulates the horse's immune system to fight the tumors. Um, so it's using the horse's own body to shut down, um, the growth of the tumors, which is pretty cool. So right now it can only be used off label and Jess, are you ready for the cost? (laughs) I'm kind of scared because right now, I mean, what we're doing, like the personal experiences that he has, some, and we just give him the semetidine, which is just a histamine blocker. So it's not curing it. You know, you're no. just hoping you slow it down. And I mean, he's doing okay. And he's 18 years old and it doesn't bother him at all, but I'm terrified to ask. <laughs> well, it just, if you think about it, it sounds really expensive to me for a vaccine that, you know, probably okay. will work, but may or may not work and doesn't cure it. It's $2,500 for a series of four vaccines and then a six month booster. Is that all four vaccines? That is is for the series. Yep. For the series. So it's expensive. Um, however, so is having your horse's melanomas removed by surgery. So I think if you're going to do a thing, um, you know, and I don't know about the prognosis of combining these therapies. I don't know if that's something, um, you know, this is still very much, you know, larger trials are the next step for this, um, to have it licensed for use in horses. And, um, so we'll it's see what case kind of by happens. case is probably different mm-hmm. as well, you know, like yeah, and where they are and anything else coming up next. Could you be penalized for patting your horse? Seems crazy, right? Stay tuned.
Does your saddle pad work as hard as you do? With EcoGold's collection of breathable pads and half pads, you can be confident that your pad is putting in just as much work as you are. Shop now at ecogold.ca. That's E-C-O-G-O-L-D dot C-A. It was the pet heard round the world. I don't know if you guys heard about this story yet, but uh, there was an Australian dressage rider. His name was Tristan Tucker. And Tristan was eliminated from his dressage test at a CDIO. Um, and he um, was eliminated because he reached down to pat his horse during really? his test twice. Like while he was riding in the middle of the test, is what you're saying? In the middle or while at the end, like where he was, said, like, good job? While he was riding. So this. Of course, Weird. as you can imagine, <laughs> with uh, with anything, there is a lot of, of course, heated uh, discussion and opinions coming out on this. Um, and it brings up kind of a longer standing discussion um, about the sort of the line between showmanship and rewarding the horse. Um, so I'm interested to get you, you, you know, your take on this, you guys. But. So the, the deal was what Tristan was riding a horse um, that was very tense in its tests. It was in an intermediate one test. The horse was always, uh, he said the horse was always very nervous in any sort of atmosphere. Um, and so he, at two different separate instances in the test, reached down and just gave his horse like, a, you know, a little tap of kind of reassurance. And he said he felt the horse take a breath and kind of then relax its back. It like took his um, hands off the reins? Yes. So one time he patted the horse behind, I think behind the saddle. And then one time he pet the horse on the withers um, and the, he finished his test. And then the judge came up to him and said, I have to eliminate you because it's against the rules to pat your horse. It is not, uh, it is not a rule that you must be eliminated for patting your horse. However, the FEI, and this was of course at an FEI competition, uh, the FEI rule states, this is exactly what it states. Riding with both hands is obligatory at FEI dressage events. When leaving the arena at a walk on a long rain after having finish the test the athlete may at his own discretion ride only with one hand with only one hand so uh it doesn't say that a rider has to be eliminated uh but the judge felt that that was i guess what was um an appropriate response to that so apparently the the reason that this rule exists is to prevent abusive riding it's to prevent somebody from putting both reins in one hand and reaching back with their whip and smacking their horse, you know, or smacking their horse with their hand or anything like that. But there's, I, I'm not quite sure as to why there has to be both, because there's also a rule that explicitly states if there is abusive riding happening, that the judge has the right to eliminate the, or not just has the right, but it's their responsibility to eliminate the rider. Um, same thing as if your horse jumps out of the dressage arena with all four feet, you know, those are automatic grounds for elimination. Um, and abusive riding is one too. Um, and it's interesting because this discussion has been in, in the equitation and hunter world as well. Um, you know, there's 
reaching down, you know, maybe towards the end of their hunter circle, reaching down and giving their horses a pat on the neck. I know that in reining, they do, your score is reduced uh, a certain number of points for patting your horse with your free hand. So it's kind of a thing of when is it appropriate? Where do we draw the line on when it's appropriate? Is it really that big of a deal to that somebody has to be eliminated, but also it's maybe kind of weird to let go of your reins in the middle of your test and pat your horse. I don't know. What do you guys think? Okay. I think this is dumb. Sorry. Unpopular opinion because I I can understand it in somewhere in the NFL, how, you know, a ref can come in and, you know, give them, what is it like a yellow card or whatever the hell they do in real sports for excessive, you know, celebratory at the, at the, after a touchdown, like I understand that because that could be offensive Mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, too much but our sport is so different that even in the case of the dressage rider like i understand mostly the dressage fi fbi rule like you know you should be riding your test but you're a you're you're riding with your partner who is your horse i don't i don't see a problem like trying to help your horse by patting him for a second if you think that will help him or even at, at the end of a round like hey thanks for doing a good job for me you know i feel like this is a little strict I totally get it at the end of the round, like at the end of the round, pat him, you know, give him praise, like maybe don't make it like super obnoxious, same right. with the NFL and everything. But honestly, like in the middle of the test, I would never, ever think, why would you stick your hand out and pat him? You know, if you're doing a movement and all that, and I think it's probably a bit distracting to the judge maybe, or, and that's where she probably felt it. And then, I mean, the way that I would read the rule is a judge also. And I think that's why it's kind of been so up in the air and everybody's kind of taking the different opinions about it. But if you have both your reins and you're riding and you have the contact and everything else, and you just take one to the other end, like you lose the contact, like there's no way you have the same contact. And so the horse, you know, isn't the movement I think as well. And so, yeah, I might get tense, but patting it behind the saddle, I understand like maybe on the withers or something like that, but I think it's kind of odd. So I think to do it twice, maybe that's when the judge was like, you know, I kind of see the judge's point of view in that sense of, well, you took your hand off and the rule states you have to have both hands on Mm -hmm. the reins. And so I think while moving, I mean, yes, I think that at the end of the test, and I know that there was some discussion in the hunter jumper world where the equitation riders, because you're being judged when you enter the ring and when you leave it all the way till you leave the ring. And so there was a big discussion about, these equitation riders that would pat the horses afterwards or, you know, and I get that. Like if you're done, like patting the horse, just rewarding it because you don't want to wait till the end. Like we walk out of the ring, they're not going to have any clue why you pat them 20 minutes later. So, you know, and that's an exaggeration. It's not 20 minutes, obviously to get out of the arena. But I think in the sense of the dressage, I think it's kind of odd that you pat your horse in the middle of a ring, in the middle of a test. And I mean, I, Obviously, that's what he felt was necessary to help the horse. But I also understand why he got eliminated because I would read that rule kind of like that. Question for both of you, since you're both eventers. Um, you see, when I watch the cross-country phase, like there are plenty of riders who, you know, you come through like a tough combination or through the water and the rider's celebrating their horse. Like, hey, great job. And you're moving on to the next thing. So where do you, I mean, every discipline is different, but it, you know, it's sort of hard to have this conversation when you could say, no, that's wrong in this discipline, but not over here. You know, I think that's where it gets sort of blurred, I guess. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you see, you know, a horse pull off like a, you know, a tough combination in the water, 
and gallop away. And the rider says, good boy, and pats the horse. And in dressage, you're not allowed to do either one of those things. You're not allowed to say good boy or say, you know, easy, it's okay. Do any sort of, you know, verbal reassurance for your horse. And then you're also not allowed to pat the horse. But I think another thing to consider is this isn't schooling dressage shows that we're yeah. discussing. I mean, that might also be the case there, but it, should there be a different rule for like a schooling dressage show versus an, an FEI dressage show in regards to, can you say good boy? Can you pat? And how, you know, do you, do you t- rewarding is a learned behavior, just like everything else. Do you teach your horse, you know, what a reward is, in a different way, like maybe just like soften the inside rain a little bit. I don't, I don't know how I, how I totally, I don't have like a firm stance on this. Like, I don't know how I completely feel about it. Um, do I think it's going to throw you off balance if in a dressage chest, when you soften the inside rain a hair, if you kind of scratch your horse a little bit on the withers? No, I think that, I don't think that the judge probably would even realize that you're doing it. Taking you're not taking the both reins, reins in you're not, one yeah, you're not taking your hand off the I, I would, like, <laughs> I think I'd lose my balance if I tried to do that. I think, you know, <laughs> you're then you're putting your arm behind you, you know, patting the horse and then carrying on. Uh, that's a, a bit of, of, you're competing, you're showing this. It is a bit, it is a bit odd. Um I think if I was a judge and I saw that, I I would be confused and skeptical. Uh, I think that the thing that people are upset about is that this rider was was eliminated. It's not that the the judge felt that there was any um, room for discussion. So I understand where both of them are coming from. You know, from the judge's side and the competitor side, you want to be able to finish and you want to be able to have the score. So. I think it's one of those tricky, tricky subjects where it's a rule and it can be interpreted in most ways. All right, you guys. So I just bought my first pair of back on track quick wraps for my OTTB. And I've never owned a horse that had wind puffs before, but he's like, He's got them everywhere. It's like acne. It sucks. And I was like really concerned at first. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do about this. All these like swelly little puffs. And uh, a friend of mine suggested back on track. And I'm not going to lie. They like, they're just, it's amazing. It's just like science and it zaps them. You know, after <laughs> only a couple hours, it's amazing. Do you guys use their products? So is this new? I have a question. Are you new to back on track? Or are you just new to the quick wraps? I'm new to back on track. So this is Oh, new. you are late to the party. They oh is amazing. Welcome. Welcome to yes. the the tribe. I know. <laughs> we I'm are so all excited. believers here. So we, yeah, Jess, I know you use the the Nobos, don't you? Don't you ship in them and everything? Yeah, yeah we ship in the Nobos. Yeah. PS, everybody, if you go to quarantine with a horse, do not put your back on tracks on them because they will take them and throw them away and you will no. cry. No, you no. will seriously cry. That is when you use the white ones that you can throw away. Because if you have a horse, they will quarantine will end up. And this was a couple of years ago. So maybe they've changed it. I always try to be prepared. And if you can stay with the shipping boots, but I'm telling you, do not waste your back on tracks in quarantine. Just oh, save, save it for home. But the back on track Nobos are amazing. 
we use them. I haven't used the quick, uh, quick wraps because I'd prefer just to wrap the horse, but for wind puffs, for anything, I just preventative. Cause they have that saran saran, basically, um, what exactly? Ceramic. The ceramic. ceramic. Yeah. Ceramic yeah. technology. Like, all I could think of was saran wrap. But <laughs> all I can think about is that there's in some landfill somewhere, a pair of sad back on track nobos that are not on a horse's leg. And it's making me it's upset. Two full sets. Two full so sets. So sad. Oh, no. So oh, sad. sad. Because yeah. I love them. And I'm obsessed They're the best. with them. And they are worth every penny, every penny, because like you said, in a matter of hours, you can wrap them, take them off and their legs look amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you don't have to use poultice. Difference. I haven't used poultice in years. I don't oh, even I know. I don't I know. even, yeah. Oh God. You don't have to use poultice. You don't have to do anything. And they're so easy and they're amazing. I cannot say enough things. We have like 500 of them and they last. I mean, they do. So, yeah. I mean, we use everything and the fact that we still have any of them more than a year. I mean, ours, I probably have some that are like four or five years old and they look great. I like the quick wraps because when you are not there to, if your horse needs to wear them and you're not there to actually wrap the horse or yeah. if somebody that doesn't maybe know how to do standing bandages properly um, is, you know, bringing your horse in and, and is fine to put boots on your horse at whatever boarding barn you're, you're oh. at it's so helpful to have those quick wraps because they still are getting that reflective heat and the like increased circulation to, f to flush all that inflammation down the toilet. But, uh, you're not going to have a bowed tendon from somebody that doesn't know no. how to wrap. Oh, we are that's so bad. weird about wrapping. Yeah, no, we're so weird about wrapping. And so thankfully we have great girls and they do an amazing job. So I trust them a hundred percent, but if not, I would do the quick wraps because I've actually recommended them to clients because I'm like, you need back on track. And unfortunately, I don't trust your wrapping. So you need to get the quick wrap. <laughs> yeah, <that's fair. laughs> I mean, I'm honest. I told them at least. Like, I didn't want the words to get hurt. So. Fair point. Fair point. And don't the wraps, they, it's like, so I know it's like the ceramic technology, but it's also like Chinese medicine kind of stuff that they use, right? Like, it's, it's really interesting how back on track kind of came up with this slew of products because it's not just wraps. It's a... They do they have full body blankets. blankets yeah. yeah. Everything. We have the blankets. I mean, honestly, and I'm, we're not sponsored by them. We truly just believe in them. I love them. And so they have a ton of different products. We have like two of the blankets and mm -hmm. um, the wraps are what I love, but they're amazing. And the science behind it all is incredible. Like it's super you should cool. read up on it. It's incredible. Yeah, it's on their website. If you're interested in learning about how it works and why it works, we can't tell you. We are not scientists, so you should probably listen to the people that know what the hell they're talking about, not yes. us. <laughs> yeah, but everyone should I check them know, out. There I often. know what works, so that's what I can tell you. I can't tell you about the science and everything. I can tell you what works on our 25 horses. So that's awesome. Yeah, get them. Yeah, perfect. So Jess, uh, speaking of all your horses, I know you have like half show jumpers and half eventers in your barn. So how do you keep all your jumpers from getting bored on the flat? Like, do you ride in your dressage saddle sometime or? No, no, I oh, would, really? <laughs> I would die, but I have to, I do have to like say something that I have to be honest. 
I love my dressage saddle and it's really comfortable and it's amazing, but I grew up as a hunter jumper rider. So I'm more comfortable in the jumper saddles. And so I'm really bad about that dressage saddle out. Like the girls <laughs> have hidden my dressage. I, I have one dressage saddle and several jump saddles and they have to like put them away. Uh, Cause one time they just pulled the stirrups and I was like, no problem. Still got on that one. It's like, <laughs> That's a problem, Jessica. So I ride, um, Doug, my husband competes most of the, I mean, we both compete all of them, uh, not all of them, but we both compete show jumpers and event horses. And the, a lot of the jumpers, I do a lot of the flat work on, but I will admit it. I do it definitely in a jump saddle. Like I had one of the new girls call me today and go, Oh, so you're, you No, they called me and said, Oh, so you're flatting Marshall. Who's one of our Grand Prix show jumpers. One of my favorite horses in the barn. Uh, and you're not supposed to have favorites. I know, but he is, um, they said, Oh, so you're flatting Marshall. So you wanted me to put your dressage saddle on you? And I literally was like, Oh, oh, oh please. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Like, and the poor girl was new. So you couldn't get, you know, I wasn't mad at her or anything, but I was like, I would have gotten to the barn and been like, I can't ride that. Like, yeah, that's going to be a hell no. <laughs> like that's not happening. So back to how I get them going on the flat is I do ride them on the flat. I don't, we don't jump them a lot. Um, maybe once a week, the big ones, they don't really need it, but I do a lot of pole exercises actually. So they think that they're, yeah. So you work on their canner, you work on the different types of canner. So I do a couple different exercises and I change it up. Um, honestly, like I'll stay with one right now. Our big fat is the pole on the hill. Cause I have a couple that rideability wise, they like want to take off and like dive on their forehand. And so Doug was, Oh, this will be fun. I'll put a pole on the hill and you can figure eight over it. The first day I was like skiing. I was like, Oh my gosh. It doesn't sit there. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all to me. I don't like, <laughs> and I mean, that is, it's a more advanced, you know, exercise. I wouldn't go straight to the hill. I did a lot of pole work prior to that with all these horses. So it wasn't like the shocking, Hey, guess what? You're doing a pole on the side of the hill and then running. Uh, one of the exercises I love is two poles on a circle and I just put them equal, like there's equal distance. And I go the first time in a normal canner. And let's say I get seven strides and I make sure I get seven strides on both sides of the circles even. And then I'm practicing yeah. also like my geometry for dressage make sure that the circle is an actual circle. Mm -hmm. And then I do add and subtract. So it's super easy. I don't need somebody on the ground. I don't need somebody to fix it. And I just say, okay, look, I got seven strides. Let me do eight or nine strides. And I practice just the adjustability of the horse. And it's super easy. And I do it in a field or in the ring, you know, depending on what barn we're at and what facility you can do it anywhere. And it doesn't take a lot of you know, set up, you just put them on the, you know, put them equal distance to like whatever you want stride wise and walk it out and say, okay, this would be a seven stride, do it in seven, do it in six. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That sounds super yeah. useful and it's not pounding on their joints all the time, but it's still that adjustability that you need over fences because everyone faces the thing of you need to practice your eye to a fence, but you can't jump your horse every day. That's yeah. insane. 
And you can do as simple as I do like a single pull and I do a figure eight over it. So I'm also practicing not only my eye, I'm practicing my lead changes. And so they land and they change over the pole, you know, especially young horses where you're just teaching them, they figure it out and then they're getting the distance. And I mean, you know, when you get there wrong, you're like, whoops, they sometimes try, you know, like somebody to be there to be like, that was wrong. (laughs) And it's safe to do by yourself. Even if you have a terrible eye, this is a good exercise for you. There's, there's no risk of a rotational fall, hopefully. (laughs) There's hopefully. no risk of danger. Hopefully your horse picks up its speed enough over the pole. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it with my dressage clients. Like she wanted to work on some Cavalettis. I started just with pole exercises and you could add one or two poles like together. You can add them on a circle. You can add them by themselves. You can add them to a hill. You know, you can it. do it different levels of difficulty and it's, it keeps them interesting. And so we do that. Um, uh, we do that a lot. The poles. What about horses that like to get quick to a jump or get quick after a jump? Is there something that you do you sort of do the turning exercises over poles? Do you do straight exercises over poles? What do you like to do for horses that maybe get uh, anticipate the jump a little bit? I like to turn. I do the single one where they're figuring. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the hill as well. You know, start with it on the flat surface. And so I figure eight. And they have mm-hmm. to wait and and practice waiting to it. Practice not making sure that you don't kick and push at it because a lot of times they get longer and then they encourage them to rush on the backside as well as the front side. So I do that a lot until you make sure they're very even and you can, and I don't always figure eight, you know, sometimes I'll do a left circle, figure eight, if, and then figure eight again, and then a right circle again. And, you know, it's not always just the same thing. So they don't think and anticipate, oh, I'm going to change over the pole. No, you're going to stay left this time. And Mm -hmm. the next time will change, you know, when you make sure you have the shoulder and you also, it helps you with drifting. We do a lot of it with the poles that have, you know, the different colored markers. So, you know, red, white, and blue or whatever it is. So you make sure you're jumping the center every time. And it also helps like, oh, I am, my horse is drifting to the right because I jumped the very right side of the pole, you know? So it's kind of a lot to tell yourself while you're riding and, you know, helps the horse like, Oh, that one has a left drift. I make sure it's in the center this time. And so the turning exercise helps them not run because they automatically think they got to turn one direction or the other. And they're not sure until you tell them. Yeah. I, I love this. And it's a good thing too. I feel for people that maybe don't, they're riding at home and maybe they don't have a full jump course. This is a really good exercise. And it's just a single pole. It could be a branch from a tree that you take all the limbs off. It yeah. could be, it could be anything. It can be a two by four that you put on the ground. So yeah, I love absolutely. It. Super useful. Soledad O'Brien may be a highly esteemed broadcast journalist, but did you know that she finds her work-life balance in riding horses? We've got an exclusive sit-down interview with Soledad coming up in the August issue of Heels Down magazine. Subscribe today for access to this and much more from the Heels Down team. And your first issue is free. Visit heelsdownmag.com for more info. Caroline, did I hear you're moving from Raleigh? I thought you were going to wait on me. I'm hopefully going to be there next year. I thought you'd still be there. Oh, we're just going to miss each other. I'm sorry. Oh, really? It's true? (laughs) Oh, my God. It's true. I'm moving to New Jersey. I never, as a Southern girl, 
the fact that those words are coming out of my mouth is oh, it's not mind as bad blowing. It's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad. I was there for like two years and I actually, I loved it. I did love New Jersey, but I I do have heart. I have a big heart for Raleigh and I can't believe you're moving. I am a little bit sad, but I'm just trying to focus on the logistics, which of course is a lot. We just found a, a great house to live in with a yard for the dog, which was one of our big criteria, which was surprisingly difficult to find in New Jersey, it's difficult to find a reasonable place to live in New Jersey, especially because um, we're moving to New Jersey, but it's the it's the suburbs that are commutable to uh, the city. So, oh yeah, that's, that's super expensive up there. That's where we were. Oh my, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> dear Jesus! So this is a uh, I'm I'm moving up there because my boyfriend and I, who have been together since college um we have been long distance for almost five years wow that's a long time to be a long long time yeah yes uh so we have lived together before um but it was so we lived together i actually did live in new jersey um, and we lived together in the fall um but then we knew that we wanted more space and we wanted to live somewhere outside of the city we lived in hoboken so I came down to North Carolina for the winter to ride out of my parents' farm, which was has been great. And then I just kind of stayed because I just didn't <laughs> want to go back. <laughs> so I it, it was supposed to be six weeks. It's turned into about six months. Oh, I wow. don't know if he knows th- that I've been counting and paying attention to that. So hopefully he's not listening to this podcast. But <laughs> it has, this has been the longest six weeks ever. And he's been such a good sport about it. He's the best human being I know. And finally, I think he had had enough. And he was like, you really, we really need to find a place to live. And you really need to get your ass back up here because this is ridiculous. So and- you found a house. Did you find a horse barn? I'm somewhere to board the horse. Cause that's impossible to find up there as well. I did. And so the whole thing has been so stressful. We weren't sure if we were going to live in New Jersey or if we were going to live in like the Connecticut area. And so I have been on the phone and emailing with so many barns and picking a boarding barn, especially when you're coming from a place where you keep your horses at home and you take care of them exactly how you want to take care of them. Finding a boarding barn that fits your needs and also fits your budget in New Jersey is Is impossible. Holy cow. I can't even imagine, you know, I've grown up in Florida. I've lived in Florida all my life, but I, I have plenty of friends who live up there. So I can't even imagine how expensive that is. It is mind blowing, mind blowing. I don't understand how anybody does it. Normally I would have more than one horse up there, but I can't afford to take more than one horse. It's so crazy expensive. So I did find a place to board the horse and the woman is a friend of mine. She's incredible. Uh, I've kept a horse at her barn before when I was living in Hoboken, she's perfect, but it really makes you appreciate, uh, the variety of boarding situations that there are, because I couldn't afford somewhere that was full service. There are barns. I didn't even realize there are all of these barns in the New York city area and the, uh, you know, kind of upstate New York area and the Greenwich Connecticut area that are, they do everything for the horses. Like it's full service. You show up and the horse's feet are polished and it's tacked up for you. And you just, you tell them what time you're coming and you just get on and 
ride. It's like a whole service that they provide to get your horse ready for you. And it's thousands of dollars, of course, every month. There's no way that I wanted something that high end or could ever afford anything that high end. And I don't know kind of what you guys, you know, your experiences are when you're searching for a barn to rent or a place to board. But my biggest things were turnout is crucial. Turnout has to be safe and there has to be enough space. And in New Jersey, that's, it's difficult to find places that have, you know, a fair amount of, of turnout. And you find that more in the kind of mid-state area, but places that are commutable into the city, that's yeah. really difficult to find. The well, paddocks so, are tiny. Like, what's your, what's your, like, sweet spot? Like, what, you know, when you kind of made a checklist when you were thinking about moving, like, what was the range you were willing to, to go for, like, turnout and, and those kind of an, amenities? Like, price-wise? No, just, like, 10 hours of turnout or, like, oh, three gotcha. hours? Yeah, like... What, what were you like, where were you drawing the line, I guess, on some of these things? <laughs> yeah. So it's a bit of an interesting thing. I, I was talking to a barn and I really liked it. I really liked the people and I was talking to them in person. You guys know that I have an incredibly expressive face and it's very, it's very much of a problem. And they told me that they had this great turnout situation. And so I was like, tell me all about it. I'm like, the turnout is, is essential for my horse, blah, blah, blah. And they w- said the horses go out for three hours a day, every single day. And you're not going to find anywhere that turns their horses out that much and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I just stared at the person and I said three hours a day that the horses are out. And they were like, yeah, isn't that great? And I was like, I don't think this is going to be the right fit for me. <laughs> Three hours. I mean, I don't, didn't even know that. that and that is a, a lot. In a lot of places, that is a lot. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, I was thinking more like 12-ish hours or maybe living outside. I would rather my horses live in a field with a run and shed than live in a stall. That's just, that's just how I am. My horses have been field boarded before and they, they're all still alive. A yeah. little rain. It didn't yeah. kill them. <laughs> so there's a time yeah. that like a couple hours is max. Oh, it goes out for like an hour or two in the morning. And then another set goes out for like an hour or two. And yeah, exactly. And they rotated them throughout yeah. the day. And I also, that is so much work. That is so much yeah. manpower to they rotate like those so horses many, I mean, constantly. You, you it in with so many employees. You have to have so many employees at the big barns. Yeah. It's like been that. It's been so interesting. Um, and of course, you, anywhere in New Jersey, you have to have an indoor because you can't ride in the winter otherwise. Footing, I would say my two biggest priorities were footing and turnout because I find that everything else I can deal with. I can kind of, you know, I'm there every day. I can, you know, wipe down my horse's stall for cobwebs or whatever, like, you know, clean the horses, help muck out whatever. I'm there every day anyway. But the things I feel for that are important for a horse's longevity and soundness, that's those are the most expensive things to maintain for a horse, I feel. So yeah, my two big points. things were footing and turnout. And those things are really difficult to find unless you want to pay $1,500 a month for basic board. Yeah, I believe it. But so what about oh, shipping? Yeah. Like, is your horse good on the trailer for like a long distance ship? So at this point, it's, it's, uh, I'm not sh- c- totally sure yet if I'm going to have one or two horses. This, my horse, um, I might be taking up a horse that belongs to somebody else. My horse is 
uh, good on the trailer by herself. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and I'm very, very lucky in that way. She drinks on the trailer. She'll eat her hay. She doesn't scream. Sometimes she's a little bit resistant to get on the trailer just because unfortunately a lot of her trailer rides have been from New Jersey to North Carolina or from Northern Virginia to North Carolina. So she's like, every time I get on this freaking machine, you make me stand on there for, you know, eight hours. And so I really have made an effort to take her on kind of shorter trips around the block so that she understands that every time she gets on the trailer, she's not going to be on there indefinitely. Uh, so, so she is very good, but I find that, um, I have a system down now and I ship out incredibly early in the morning. And I find that I've had the most success as far as traffic, um, doing well, it very early this in time the morning of year too is and huge. the heat like that's what we yeah. ship out first thing or it sounds terrible but when we ship up to um horse shows like we'll go to millbrook and stuff like that from even aiken we leave and ship overnight because yes. honestly like mm-hmm. it's so hard it's harder on us than it is the horses but then the horses actually aren't traveling in the heat because that's one of the biggest things that people will leave at like two in the afternoon and oh they're like God, baking. no it's and so like, bad. No, we want to get there first thing in the morning. You know, that's, it's more important to us for them to be comfortable than for us to be comfortable. I've honestly. done the same thing where I've driven overnight and it was actually great because there's no traffic. There is yeah. no traffic. very I find few other people on the road. Like, yeah. It's, it's not, and you're not, wor- I am such a worrier about how comfortable my horse is in the trailer because they can really, I mean, they can get really sick. They can really come off the trailer and be in bad shape. They can lose a lot of weight. Oh it's, yeah, It's an art to shipping a horse effectively. So sh- I, I think I'll be probably shipping my horse up overnight or leaving at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., which is basically overnight too, um, yeah. to do it this time. But having a system helps. I do all of these trips by myself. I mean, it's just oh. me and my dog. Um, nobody's in the car with me, so I'm learning to be quite a road warrior. So I'm not too stressed about it at this point, but I think if you talk to me in a couple of weeks, I might be pretty stressed. Oh, <laughs> we'll see. It'll be good. If you'd like to hear more from us, check out heels down magazine. It's an interactive digital magazine on your phone or tablet. So you can take it anywhere. You can download it on iTunes or Google play, or check out our website at heelsdownmag.com. We'll be releasing episodes of Heels Down Happy Hour on the second and last Fridays of each month. So be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.